see our neighbors in trouble, we don't say, well, that's just God's will and that's the way it should be. No, we go in and we help that person. And so we, we run to help them. And that's what he's saying here. And so anyone who does not do that for his neighbor, but forsakes him and leaves him to misfortune, becomes a murderer in the sight of God. As St. John states in his epistles, whoever does not love his brother is a murderer. And again, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in that person? 1 John three fifteen and 17. That is also one of the sins which God attributed to the city of Sodom when he speaks to the prophet Ezekiel, saying, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride. They had an excess of food, prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. Christ, therefore, will condemn them as murderers on the last day when he will say, I was sick and you did not visit me. If that shall be the judgment upon those who have failed to visit the sick and needy or to offer them relief, what will become of those who abandoned them and let them lie there like dogs and pigs? Yes, how will they fare who rob the poor of the little that they have and plague them in all kinds of ways? That is what the tyrants do to the poor who accept the gospel. But let that be, they have their condemnation. Now, it would be well where there is such an efficient government in cities and states to maintain municipal homes and hospitals staffed with people to take care of the sick so that patients from private homes can be sent there, as was the intent and purpose of our forefathers with so many pious bequests, hospices and hospitals and infirmaries so that it should not be necessary for every citizen to maintain a hospital in his own home. That would indeed be a fine, commendable, and Christian arrangement to which everyone should offer generous help and contributions, particularly the government. Where there are no such institutions and they exist in only a few places, we must give hospital care and be nurses for one another in any extremity or risk the loss of salvation in the grace of God. Thus it is written in God's word and command, love your neighbor as yourself. So whatever you wish that men would do to you, do so to them. And so he goes on, if a deadly epidemic strikes, we should stay where we are, make our preparations, and take courage in the fact that we are mutually bound together so that we cannot desert one another or flee from one another. First, we can be sure that God's punishment has come upon us, not only to chastise us for our sins, but also to test our faith and love. Our faith in that we may see and experience how we should act toward God. Our love in that we may recognize how we should act toward our neighbor. Now, I am of the opinion that all the epidemics, like any plague, are spread among the people by evil spirits who poison the air or exhale a pestilential breath which puts a deadly poison into the flesh. Nevertheless, this is God's decree and punishment to which we must patiently submit and serve our neighbor, risking our lives in this manner, as St. John teaches. If Christ laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, when anyone is overcome by horror and repugnance in the presence of a sick person, he should take courage and strength in the firm assurance that it is the devil who stirs up such abhorrence, fear, and loathing in his heart. And he is such a bitter, knavish devil that he not only unceasingly tries to slay and kill, but also takes delight in making us deathly afraid, worried, and apprehensive 
so that we should regard dying as horrible and have no rest or peace all through our life. And so the devil would excrete us out of this life as he tries to make us despair of God, become unwilling and unprepared to die, and under the stormy and dark sky of fear and anxiety make us forget and lose Christ, our light and life, and desert our neighbor in his troubles. We would sin thereby against God and man, and that would be the devil's glory and delight because we know that it is the devil's game to induce such fear and dread. We should in turn minimize it, take such courage as to spite and annoy him. (laughs) I love this. To spite and annoy him, meaning the devil, and send those terrors right back to him. And we should arm ourselves with this answer to the devil. And so before I read these answers, what he's saying here is that there are the devil wants to do two things to us. He wants to make us afraid so that we lose our faith in Christ, and he wants us to neglect our responsibilities to others. Okay, here's, here's his first response. Get away, you devil, with your terrors. Just because you hate it, I will spite you by going the more quickly to help my sick neighbor. I will pay no attention to you. I have got two heavy blows to use against you. The first one is that I know that helping my neighbor is a deed well-pleasing to God and all the angels. And by this deed, I do God's will and render true service and obedience to him. This is all the more so, because if you hate it and are strongly opposed to it, then it must be particularly acceptable to God. I would do this readily and gladly if I could please only one angel who might look with delight on it. But now that it pleases my Lord Jesus Christ and the whole heavenly host because it is the will and command of God my Father, then how could any fear of you cause me to spoil such joy in heaven or such delight for my Lord? Or how could I, by flattering you, Give you and your devils in hell reason to mock and laugh at me. No, you will not have the last word. If Christ shed his blood for me and died for me, why should I not expose myself to some small dangers for his sake and disregard this feeble plague? If you can terrorize, Christ can strengthen me. If you can kill, Christ can give life. If you have poison in your fangs, Christ has far greater medicine. Should not my dear Christ, with his precepts, his kindness, and all his encouragement, be more important in my spirit than you, roguish devil, with your false terrors in my weak flesh? God forbid. Get away, devil. Here is Christ, and here am I, his servant in this work. Let Christ prevail. (laughs) That That was the first blow. Now we get to the second blow. (laughs) The second blow against the devil is God's mighty promise by which he encourages those who minister to the needy. He says in Psalm 41, Blessed is he who considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him in the day of trouble. The Lord will protect him and keep him alive. The Lord will bless him on earth and not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord will sustain him on his sickbed. In his illness... He will heal all his infirmities. Are not these glorious and mighty promises of God heaped up upon those who minister to the needy? What should terrorize us or frighten us away from such great and divine comfort? The service we can render to the needy is indeed such a small thing in comparison with God's promises and rewards that St. Paul says to Timothy that godliness is of value in every way. And it holds promise both for the present life and for the life to come. Now, godliness is nothing else but service to God. 
Service to God is indeed service to our neighbor. And it is proved by experience that those who nurse the sick with love, devotion, and sincerity are generally protected. What he's saying here is that the ones who are serving, the, 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 the ones who are ill, he's saying that there's something going on here with Psalm 41 where they are divinely protected to care for these persons. Though they are poisoned, they are not harmed. As the psalm says, in his illness, you heal all his infirmities. That is, you change his bed of sickness into a bed of health. Those who attend a patient because of greed or with the expectation of an inheritance or some personal advantage in such services should not be surprised if eventually they are infected, disfigured, or even dies before he comes into possession of the estate or inheritance. So these are persons for doing it for the wrong reasons. But whoever serves the sick for the sake of Christ, or for, excuse me, for the sake of God's gracious promise, though he may accept a suitable reward to which he is entitled, inasmuch as every laborer is worthy of his hire, whoever does so has the great assurance that he shall in turn be cared for. God himself shall be his attendant and his physician too. And what an attendant he is. What a physician. Friend, what are all the physicians, apothecaries, and attendants in a comparison to God? Should that not encourage one to go and serve a sick person? Even though he might have as many contagious boils on him as hairs on his body, and though he might be bent double carrying a hundred plague-ridden bodies, what do all kinds of pestilence or devils mean over against God who binds and obliges himself to be our attendant and physician? Shame and more shame on you, you out-and-out unbeliever. For despising such great comfort and letting yourself become more frightened by some small boil or some uncertain danger than emboldened by such sure and faithful promises of God. What would it avail you if all physicians in the entire world were at your service, but God were not present? Again, what harm could overtake you if the whole world were to desert you and no physician would remain with you, but God would abide with you with his assurance? Do you not know that you are surrounded by thousands of angels who watch over you in such a way that you can indeed trample upon the plague, as it is written in Psalm 91? He has given his angels charge of you to guard you in all your ways, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the adder, and trample the young lion and the serpent underfoot. I'm getting close here. Hang with me. And so our second response to the devil should be, get out of here. I'm going to serve the Lord by serving my neighbor because God is going to care for and sustain me through this trouble based upon his promise to me in Psalm 41. He continues, Therefore, dear friends, let us not become so desperate as to desert our own whom we are duty-bound to help and flee in such a cowardly way from the terror of the devil or allow him the joy of mocking us and vexing and distressing God and all his angels. For it is certainly true that he who despises such great promises and commands of God and leaves his own people destitute violates all of God's law and is guilty of the murder of his neighbor whom he abandons. I fear that in such a case God's promise will be reversed and changed into horrible threats. And the promises of Psalm 41 will then read this way, Accursed is he who does not provide for the needy but escapes and forsakes them. The Lord in turn will not spare him in evil days, but will flee from him and desert him. The Lord will not preserve him and keep him alive and will not prosper him on earth, but will deliver him into the hands of his enemies. The Lord will not refresh him on his sickbed or take him from the couch of his illness. For the measure you give will be the measure you get. 
Nothing else can come of it. It is terrible to hear this, more terrible to be waiting for this to happen, and most terrible to experience it. But what else can happen if God withdraws his hand and forsakes us except sheer devilement and every kind of evil? It cannot be otherwise if, against God's command, one abandons his neighbor. This fate will surely overtake anyone of this, this sort unless he sincerely repents. And so again, what he's saying there is that if we're unwilling to help those who are in need, we're unwilling to, to acknowledge our responsibilities, then Psalm 41 might actually turn out to be a curse. This I well know, that if it were Christ... That, 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 I, listen to this. This is, this is important. This I well know, that if it were Christ or his mother who were laid low by illness, everybody would be so solicitous and would gladly become a servant or helper. Everyone would want to be bold and fearless and nobody would flee, but everyone would come running to serve Jesus or his mother. And yet they do not hear what Christ himself says, as you did to one of the least, you did it to me. When Jesus speaks of the greatest commandment, he says, the other commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There you hear that the command to love your neighbor is equal to the greatest commandment to love God. And that what you do or fail to do for your neighbor means doing the same to God. If you wish to serve Christ and to wait on him, very well. You have your sick neighbor close at hand. Go to him and serve him, and you will surely find Christ in him. If you do not wish or care to serve your neighbor, then you can be sure that if Christ lay there instead, you would not do so either and would let him lie there. Those are nothing but illusions on your part which puff you up with vain pride. Namely, that you would really serve Christ if he were there in person. Those are nothing but lies. Whoever wants to serve Christ in person would surely serve his neighbor as well. This is said as an admonition and encouragement against fear and a disgraceful flight to which the devil would tempt us so that we would disregard God's command in our dealings with our neighbor. And so we would fall into sin on the left hand. And so here he says that people often like to think that if it were Jesus lying sick in bed, they would run to help him. But Luther says this is an illusion. For if we are not willing to help our sick neighbors, then we would not help Christ either. And so this is the first way that we sin during a deadly plague that Luther is talking about here. We run away from our responsibilities. Now, Sinning on the right hand, and this is not as long, so bear with me, we're almost done. Others sin on the right hand. They are much too rash and reckless, tempting God and disregarding everything which might counteract death and the plague. They disdain the use of medicines. They do not avoid places and persons infected by the plague, but lightheartedly make sport of it and wish to prove how independent they are. They say that it is God's punishment. If he wants to protect them, he can do so without medicines or our carefulness. This is not trusting God, but tempting him. God has created medicines and provided us with intelligence to guard and take good care of the body so that we can live in good health. 
If one makes no use of intelligence or medicine when he could do so without detriment to his neighbor, such a person injures his body and must beware lest he become a suicide in God's eyes. By the same reasoning, a person might forego eating and drinking, clothing and shelter, and boldly proclaim his faith that if God wanted to preserve him from starvation and cold, he could do so without food and clothing. Actually, that would be suicide. It is even more shameful for persons to pay no heed to his own body and fail to protect it against the plague the best he is able, and then to infect and poison others who might have remained alive if he had taken care of his body as he should have. He is thus responsible before God for his neighbor's death and is a murderer many times over. Indeed, such people behave as though a house were burning in the city and nobody were trying to put the fire out. Instead, they give leeway to the flame so that the whole city is consumed, saying that if God so willed, he could save the city without water to quench the fire. And so here is the second way that we sin during a deadly plague. By being reckless with illness, by not taking the necessary precautions, shunning the use of medicines, not being careful to make sure that we do not become sick, and by being restless, what we actually end up doing is making others sick, some who may die as a result of our recklessness. And here Luther says that their blood is on our hands and we will answer for it before the Lord. No, dear friends, that is no good. Use medicine. Take potions which can help you. Fumigate house, yard, and street. Shun persons and places wherever your neighbor does not need your presence or has recovered. And act like a man who wants to help put out the burning city. What else is the epidemic but a fire which instead of consuming wood and straw devours life and body? You ought to think this way very well. By God's decree, the enemy has sent us poison. Therefore, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance infect and pollute others, and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me, and I have done what he has expected of me. And so I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely, as stated above. This is such a God-fearing faith because it is neither brash nor foolhardy and does not tempt God. And so here he says that we should take precautions to protect ourselves, but our precautions should not prevent us from performing our responsibility of caring for others. Moreover, he who has contracted the disease and recovered should keep away from others and not admit them into his presence unless it be necessary. Though one should aid him in his time of need, as previously pointed out, he in turn should, after his recovery, so act toward others that no one becomes unnecessarily endangered on his account and so cause another's death. Whoever loves danger, says the wise man in Ecclesiastes, will perish by it. If the people in a city were, were to show themselves bold in their faith when a neighbor's need so demands, 
and cautious when no emergency exists, and if everyone would help ward off contagion as best he can, then the death toll would indeed be moderate. But if some are too panicky and desert their neighbors in their plight, and if some are so foolish as not to take precautions but aggravate the contagion, then the devil has a heyday and many will die. On both counts, this is a grievous offense to God and to man. And here it is tempting God. There it is bringing man into despair. And the one who flees, the devil will pursue. The one who stays behind, the devil will hold captive so that no one escapes him. And so the devil wins in two ways. First, he wins by making us panic and run away from our responsibilities. And second, he, makes, he wins by making us live recklessly and thereby infecting others so that others die. Two more paragraphs. Some are even worse than that. They keep it secret that they have the disease and go among others in the belief that by contaminating and poison others, they can rid themselves of the plague and so recover. With this idea, they enter streets and homes trying to saddle children or servants with the disease and thus save themselves. I certainly believe that this is the devil's doing who helps turn the wheel of fate to make this happen. I have been told that some are so incredibly vicious that they circulate among people and enter homes because they are sorry that the plague has not reached that far and wish to carry it in, as though it were a prank like putting lice into fur garments or flies into someone's living room. I can't believe those were actually pranks back then. <laughs> I do not know whether I should believe this if it is true. I do, not, I do not know whether we Germans are not really devils instead of human beings. It must be admitted that there are some extremely coarse and wicked people. The devil, the devil is never idle. My advice is that if any such persons are discovered, the judge, the judge should take them by the ear and turn them over to Master Jack, the hangman, as outright and deliberate murderers. What else are such people but assassins in our town? Here and then an assassin will jab a knife through someone and no one can find the culprit. So these folks infect a child here, a woman there, and can never be caught. They go on laughing as though they had accomplished something. Where this is the case, it would be better to live among wild beasts than with such murderers. I do not know how to preach to such killers. They pay no heed. I appeal to the authorities to take charge, to turn them over to the help and advice, not of physicians, but of Master, J Master Jack the Hangman. He, was, he wasn't afraid to say what he thought. If in the Old Testament God himself ordered lepers to be banished from the community and compelled to live outside the city, we must do the same with this dangerous pestilence so that anyone who becomes infected will stay away from other persons or allow himself to be taken away and given speedy help with medicine. Under such circumstances, it is our duty to assist such a person, not forsake him in his plight, as I have repeatedly pointed out before. Then the poison is stopped in time, which benefits not only the individual, but also the whole community, which might be contaminated if one person is permitted to infect others. Our plague here in Wittenberg has been caused by nothing but filth. The air, thank God, is still clean and pure, but some, have, some few have been contaminated because of the laziness or recklessness of some. And so the devil enjoys himself at the terror and flight which he causes among us. May God thwart him. Amen. This is what we think and conclude on the subject of fleeing from death by plague. If you are of a different opinion, may God enlighten you. Amen. And so, you know, I, I don't know if, if that was helpful to you or not, but, um, it, you know, it, there seem to be two really competing sides. Uh, you know, those who, who are strong in faith and say we must, we must stay and be steadfast and remain and, and shun all use of, of, um, of uh, protective equipments. Um, and then there are others who 
are wanting to use protective equipments and, and in a sense are wanting to uh, take the precautions necessary. And I love how he draws this mediating position and affirms both and um, really talks about the spiritual battle that's going on there. Um, the, the first, that the devil wants to incite fear in us to make us run away and shun our responsibilities. And then also he wants to make us reckless. He wants us to live recklessly so that we would um, infect others. And so I was, um, I was challenged by what he read, I'll be honest with you. And, and I think that is the mark of something that is, um, is important to reflect on. And not to mention, uh, I, I think we all know the accomplishments uh, and what the Lord did through this man. So if, if any of you don't like it, that's fine. I, I respect your opinions. Um, but... Um, uh, I do think that the Lord um, worked mightily through Martin Luther. Um, so in any event, let's pray. Lord, thank you uh, for, number one, for the ability to, um, to hear your word through other people um, in times past. And, and I'm reminded of um, the author of Ecclesiastes. He says that there is nothing new under the sun. And... Um, Boy, that's a, that's a helpful thing to reflect on here, Lord, uh, just as uh, we are dealing with a, uh, a pandemic, as they call it. Um, this is not the first time the world has seen something like this. And so thank you for the ability to reach back into the history of the church. And, and your Holy Spirit was, uh, is, is present with us and was present with them and was, and was guiding them and leading them. And so there is tremendous wisdom in how you were leading them through things and how you helped them to come to an understanding. And so we thank you uh, for uh, the truth of your word. And, and Lord, we ask for, um, number one, that, that um, you would uh, remove this virus uh, from this country, that you would heal our land. Uh, that's number one, what I ask. Uh, but number two, uh, Lord, we, we know that you can do that also through the use of medicines and um, through the use of uh, precautions and protective measures. And so I ask that you would continue to give our leaders the wisdom uh, to make certain decisions um, and uh, that are beneficial to the health and well-being of the citizens of, of this state and this country. And, and, um, and Lord, I, I pray that you would... Um, Help us to live as Christians. One who does have a bold faith. We know that you are in control. We will die. That's inevitable. We're going to die, but we know the one who has conquered death, and so you will carry us through death. And we also ask that you would help us to take up the mantle of our responsibility, to not shun our responsibilities because we are fearful. Help us to take up that mantle to serve others. Because if we are not willing to serve others, Lord, then we are not willing to serve you. And how powerful of a reminder that is. So thank you, Lord, again for this day. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.